You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Gilgamesh Brewing at gilgameshbrewing.com. Try the Mamba, the Oedipus IPA, Vader, the O'Doyle Rules Irish Red Ale, and the DJ Jazzy Hef. Gilgamesh Brewing has been supplying pure pleasure, our staff, and our guests with some of the best microbrewed beers in the Portland metro area. Based out of Salem, Oregon, started in Turner, Oregon, family run, owned and operated. Gilgameshbrewing.com. Check them out. Gilgamesh Brewing. Happy Saturday, Pleasure Seekers. This is Dewey, your host with the most on Peer Pleasure with Dewey Halpas on Adobe Radio and Jabberjaw Media. This week, we have a fantastic guest, Emily Heller. She is a stand-up comedian on Kill Rock Stars Records. She's done writing for TV, uh, for movies. She's got a hilarious story and uh, a lot of things to say. And she also has a podcast called Baby Geniuses, and you can check that out on iTunes it is pretty hilarious. They get a lot of comedians together and do a lot of things on on that podcast. I definitely suggest subscribing to it uh, if you like to laugh and, and enjoy the comedy podcast. So this is our first comedian on the show. Uh, we do a lot of musicians, label types, as you know, if you've been subscribed for a while. But I've always had an interest in stand-up comedy. I love it. Listen to it all the time. Definitely been going to a lot more shows uh, lately for stand-up and, and really came across Emily's record and it is so fucking funny. I can't even, I can't even tell you guys need to check it out. Uh, I was laughing at work looking like a moron <laughs> with my headphones on and, uh, but it's well worth it. So Emily Heller's the guest today. Last week we had Jeff from Thursday. So definitely check that out in the archive if you haven't heard it yet. And the week before that was Anthony Green from Circus Survive and Seosin. If you haven't checked that out, definitely check that one out. Uh, another great episode. And next week we have Aaron from Isis and Sumac. Isis being my favorite band of all time. That was an awesome interview to do. And thanks to Mike Mowry for connecting Aaron and I to do that interview. So before I keep rambling on here, we are on the peerpleasurepodcast.com. Uh, excuse me, peerpleasurepodcast.com. We are on Instagram. We are on Twitter. Check us out on there. Uh, give us an ad, a like, whatever the social media platform calls for. Um, we have our Amazon affiliate link up on the website. So if you go and buy your stuff at Amazon through that link, we will get 4% of that purchase and it costs you nothing more. It is absolutely no extra cost to you and it definitely helps out the show. There's also the donate tab and people have been using that and that has really been helping out, keeping the lights on, keeping uh, money you know, coming into the show so we can keep doing this and bringing you more and more content. It does take a lot of time and uh, some resources. So we definitely appreciate the help on that. Uh, we do still have stickers up in the store and we're beginning some more merch soon. We have some pins as well. So if you like the show, want to support the show, that's another way to do it. So without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Emily Heller.
How's it going? Hey, it's Dewey. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Awesome. Well, Emily Heller, uh, cool. comedian, coming on the Peer Pleasure Podcast. Um, I got your info through Portia Saban, who's a um, on our network as well, uh, Jabberjaw Media. Um, and I reached out oh, to yeah. her saying, well, I was on Spotify at work and I was, I was just cruising through comedy stuff and your, your record came on and, and, uh, I was like crying laughing, <laughs> which, oh, good. which doesn't always happen. I mean, a lot of times I'll chuckle here and there or, or, uh, you know, you know, laugh out loud a couple times, but this was like, I was dying laughing. And, and then I looked at the label and I was like, kill rock stars. That's Porsche's label. And, and, uh, said, Hey, do you? <laughs> you know, Emily, can you, can you, uh, hook me up with Emily? She's like, yeah, I'll, I'll send out an email or whatever. And so I really appreciate you coming on. Um, yeah, totally. And I mean that, and anytime, anytime I make someone cry, I'm happy about it <laughs> for That's, any reason whatsoever, for any reason whatsoever. And the, the one that got me the best was the, when you were talking about sex in the city is basically my life because I have an <laughs> ex-girlfriend that would literally say that same thing and would find real life situations that 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 resonated with and that was partially why i was laughing so hard because i've been there (laughs) and uh (laughs) you know just starting out with with uh and this is what's funny is is uh so sundays i do you know usually several interviews sometimes just one but a lot of times it's really varied and today is no different and my wife was asking me like who are you talking to today and I said, oh, I'm talking to this guy, Dennis. He's, he's from this really awesome black metal band called Ghost Path. And then I'm talking to a comedian. <laughs> and she's like, really? And I was like, yeah, I'm going from like one extreme to the other. And uh, and I was like, she's like, have I heard of her? I was like, I don't know. But then I tried to tell her that joke about the, I went out to, to dinner with my, my ex and his new girlfriend. <laughs> and that whole thing, and I butchered it, mm-hmm. completely butchered it. It yeah. was horrible. So it's she, yeah, well, sure. that's why I put the album out, so people wouldn't have to do that anymore. <laughs> exactly. So I said, here's her name. Yeah. Go on Spotify and listen to it. I'll be home later. <laughs> and uh, yeah. So you do all cool. sorts of well, things. Thank this you is, so much. Yeah, absolutely. This is what's so cool is because I heard the record, talked to Portia, got, talked to you, got everything set up, and then then I started like going down the rabbit hole of, of what you do. I mean, you do a lot more than comedy. You're a podcaster. Um, you know, you work in TV. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff. So I got to admit that I'm not up on all of it, but I definitely want to talk about it. So, um, I mean, I don't know why anyone would be up on all of it. It's all very different. Sure. <laughs> You'd have to be tracking, tracking me pretty hardcore to follow <laughs> me to every corner of show business that I've wandered into unknowingly. Sure. Well, how did, how did you get into show business in the first place? I mean, were you, were you born and raised in California or were you born somewhere else and, and moved to California later? I was born and raised in the East Bay, California, okay. um, Alameda, uh, went to school in Oakland, went to college at UC Santa Cruz. Um, and when I was at UC Santa Cruz, I, they offered a course in stand-up comedy, um, that, uh, you know, fulfilled some gen ed requirements for me. And my sister was about to get married and I was the maid of honor. So I knew I was going to have to give a speech. And my sister was also, she was marrying a writer for Saturday night live. Oh my God. And so I knew, I knew there were going to be a bunch of SNL people at the wedding. Uh And I got really nervous. I was like, I should try and do a good speech. Right. (laughs) Um, so I took the, I took the stand up class at, Santa Cruz. It was like my senior year. And I, it was a, it was a really cool class. There were like 80 people in the class and we would all kind of take turns doing like one minute bits. Uh-huh. And, um, I got an A plus in the class, which, uh, I took as like encouragement from the professor. It's the only A plus I ever got in college. <laughs> um, and I, and I met some other people in the class who were like, you know what, let's start doing some open mics. So we started driving to San Francisco and doing open mics about once a month. And I got kind of connected to the stand up scene there. And, um, that's just kind of how it started. I ended up moving up to San Francisco after I graduated and continuing to do stand up and a little bit of sketch when I moved there. And then I just started focus. I started working at a comedy website that was based in San Francisco called Rooftop Comedy. And 
so I was like watching stand-up clips all day, doing stand-up at night, really not pursuing anything else. But still in the back of my mind, I was like, this isn't my career. Uh-huh. Like, I'm just kind of doing this for fun. But I also at a certain point was like, oh, I'm not doing anything else. So <laughs> I guess this is what I'm this is what I'm doing. And, you know, my sister had been living in New York. So after a few years in San Francisco, um, you know, you can't really stay there for too long and have comedy be your career. You can. It's really it's just really hard. There's only a few people who do that. Sure. So you kind of have to move to New York or LA. And my sister lived in New York and I had visited a bunch of times and done stand up out there. So I after a few years decided to move there and give it a shot. Um I wanted to do that before I got too old because I was scared. Um <laughs> so I yeah, I did that and Um, moved to New York and started booking some spots on TV and um, became the warm-up comedian for a show called Totally Biased with W. Kamau Bell on on FX that Uh ran for a few years. Uh, So I would warm up those crowds. And um, and then uh, eventually I ended up um, signing with I, this is very inside baseball. I'm sorry if this is like completely dry and boring. No, not at all. This is exactly uh, <laughs> what I'm looking for. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I ended up signing with like a manager and an agent. And um, comedy is like a weird industry because there's so many different directions you can go with it. You know, like you can try and become an actor. You can become a touring comedian who's on the road, you know, 50 weeks a year. Mm-hmm. You can write for television, you could write for late night, you could write for sitcoms, you could um, stay in New York and just work the clubs and do warm-up as a warm-up comedian. There's just so many different things to do. And so I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but when I signed with my representatives, they were like, you should just try and write a pilot. Write a pilot, see how you like doing that. And so I did, and um, very shortly after that, I realized, oh, they're they wanted me to write that so they could submit that as a sample and they did. And, um, I ended up getting hired on a sitcom in Los Angeles and, uh, had to basically had like four weeks to move from New York to LA to take this job, uh, and pay off the debts I had been accruing uh-huh. while I was, uh, pursuing stand up in New York <laughs> and, um, then moved to LA and started writing for TV and I really liked it. And I've been doing that ever since. That's fantastic. And what was the what was the sitcom you got uh, initially hired on for? Um, the first sitcom I worked on was it was called Surviving Jack. It was a family sitcom set in the '90s that was on Fox. It starred Christopher Maloney from Law and Order SVU. Okay. Yes, um, and uh, and yeah. Uh, Oz. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. You know, because when you think of SVU and Oz, you think that guy belongs in a family sitcom. Yeah, um, exactly. But he was actually, he, yeah, but he was so funny. He was really great to write jokes for. And I found that for the first time I was like, oh, writing jokes for like a, like a sturdy, macho, manly man is something I won't really ever get to do in my standup <laughs> unless I drastically change my persona. Sure. Sure. And that, yeah. that contrast between SVU and Oz was crazy. I remember seeing Oz and then, oh, there he is pissing in a bucket in the hole, like completely naked. And I was like, man, this is fucked up. Like this totally just kills this other kid. And then you see as a, I think he's like a, a crazy cafeteria dude. And uh, I forget the name of the movie, but he's like humping the refrigerator. And Wet shit. hot like, American summer. Yes, that's it. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's very versatile. So you probably had a good time writing. For he that. is. Yeah. I had a great time and he can really, he can kill it with the jokes. He's, yeah. he's super funny. Um, and kind of like small world, he was also had a role in my sister's first movie. She's a director, a writer, director. And, um, she released a movie a couple years ago called, uh, the diary of a teenage girl. Uh It was based on, um, Phoebe Gleckner's graphic novel. Um, and he, he had a role in that. So he's, he's more connected to my family than he even knows. (laughs) That's fantastic. So, so like showbiz, yeah. it, your sister and yourself, are your parents involved in show business at all, or or did you guys kind of break um, the mold there? <laughs> They're involved in show business in that um, they love taking pictures with celebrities. Um, but other than that, no, they were just. My parents are just very creative, supportive people. Um, you know, I 
I'm a very lucky person to have grown up with parents who were encouraged me to pursue whatever I wanted to do. And also with, you know, the privilege to do that without crushing student loans or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, my sister did theater from very young age and I kind of tried to follow in her footsteps for a while, but uh, I ended up becoming a high school debater instead. Um, But we've always been a very, you know, our mom's an art teacher um, but we, my sister and I kind of found our way into show business totally separate ways, but with a few like sort of interconnected things. But, um, yeah, we've kind of ended up, you know, we're in, we're both in the writer's guild now, so mm-hmm. there's that, <laughs> but yeah, she does, she does movies and stuff and I, and I do TV. So, hey. and our brother is a composer. He's a musician and he's done, um, some musical scores for movies as well. That's fascinating. You guys all yeah. all went different routes, but at the same time are connected, you know, in similar ways. That's, I mean, yeah, totally. that's kind of the dream right there. Like, you can get your own space, you can have your own accomplishments, <laughs> but at the same time, you could totally work together still or, or you know, bounce ideas off each other and, and, uh, and things yeah. like that. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's the perfect, like, level of, you know, sort of we could work together if we wanted to but we're never directly competing with each other for anything yeah well yeah when when you're writing when you're writing for tv i mean i've seen featurettes and things like the south park guys that or bill Hader, i think was in it they basically write for snl then fly out write for south park fly back like how involved Mm -hmm. how involved are the actors in the writing process and is it i mean i guess kind of a stupid question but does it resemble 30 Rock as much as 30 Rock p- puts it out to be as far as being a writer <laughs> in TV? Um, <laughs> like, do you have yes a, fa- a, no. a fart dampener, uh, the the sweatshirt? <laughs> you know, like those silly no. things that, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't even know where I'm going with that. But <laughs> Do I have a fart dampener is a separate question. Yes, that, we'll say that one after this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Writers rooms are like they're interesting. They function totally differently than I expected them to. And I think it's different with like a late night show versus a sitcom. Mm-hmm. A sitcom, you're kind of you're sitting around a table with the writers and you're sort of talking through um, what you want the show to be and how you want the stories to work. And people write stuff up on a whiteboard and uh, you break the story and then you flesh it out and then you re- outline it and then someone gets sent off to write the script. Um, and so it's super super collaborative. It's not really like, like on SNL, I think the way it works there, and I've never worked there, but I've known, I know a lot of people who have, it's like people come up with their individual sketches and they work on it with teams of like two or three people and they work on their own individual sketches and then they all get kind of put together for the, for the show. But on a, on a sitcom, it's really everyone works on every episode. Um, And the actors are not usually involved in the writing process unless they created the show. Like I actually did just um, finish working on the first season of Bill Hader's new HBO show that'll be coming out next year. And he created the show um, and uh, co-wrote the script for the pilot um, Uh with Alec Berg, who uh, is one of the executive producers of Silicon Valley. And um, so Bill was in the room every day and, you know, he had a, he figured a lot of the show out on his own and we sort of helped him finish it off. And, um, but that I think is kind of unusual. I think a lot of times the stars of shows don't have anything to do with the writing of it. Um, but yeah, it, it was, it's super, super fun process and a lot easier than I expected to be. Okay. Yeah. I figured like people come from different walks of life to get into that career. That career's always fascinated me. Like I've always thought about it, man, that'd be fun to write for TV because you know, it's different every week and, and you just have this like come in in the morning, hung over or whatever. And say like, Oh my God, this just happened to me <laughs> last night. And it could be on TV, you know, yeah. or is that how, I guess it depends on the show, but is there a lot of, a, a lot of that where like, Jesus, this just happened to me last week. And like, no, we could go with that. We can make this happen here. Or is it, is it more, uh, thinking about it from the character's point of view? I think a lot of shows tend to like, I think the best shows do draw on real stories mm-hmm. and sort of feel authentic. It, it depends on what, what the show is, you know what I mean? But I think a lot of times, a lot of TV episodes you'll watch will be based on some writer's true story in the room. And then 
sort of filtered through the lens of the characters as you built them for the show. You know, like yeah. this is a real situation that happened to me. What would our main character do if they were in that situation? Or here's a situation that our character is dealing with in this episode. How have we dealt with that when we've dealt with that in real, in real life? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's, it's absolutely a, a big part of it. And I think a lot of times why standups get hired to write for TV is because standups have a proven track record of turning real stories that happen to them into jokes. And so they, that's a big part of what the job is. And so they know you can do that already when they hire you. That makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause that's where most comedy totally. comes from now is, is observations and, um, you know, versus, versus, you know, uh, you know, dick and fart jokes or knock, knock jokes. You don't see a lot of people getting <laughs> up there doing the traditional, yeah. you know, uh, that makes a lot of sense. Stuff, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. Although I would, you know, I've, I, I say that having just watched like two episodes in a row of Better Call Saul, and I would be horrified if any of that was based on real life. <laughs> <laughs> Have you written on anything that's not a not a comedy, like a serious show, as far as like a, a drama or a, um, or anything like that, or has it been mostly comedies or and sitcoms? Um, I guess it's been mostly. It's been mostly comedies, like half-hour comedies. The show that I just worked on, which is, um, it's called Barry, um, and that's Bill Hader's new show. Uh-huh. It had some serious elements, but it is a comedy, and, like, Bill Hader's the star of it. But it is, there are some serious things, and there was a drama writer on staff to help us with that stuff. Um, so that's kind of the closest I've come to working on anything dramatic. And so I did have to sort of, like, flex those muscles a little bit. And uh-huh. that was actually, it was really interesting. I don't think I would want to do that um full time i definitely prefer jokes and funny stuff and finding that but it it was really interesting like trying to come up with like dark shit for that yeah <laughs> and with that though i mean as well i mean being a comedian and you you went about it kind of i'm, I'm you kind of you like you said you started with that class and then started to kind of build from there i know a lot of comedians come from like this is the one thing that really makes them happy where and i think louis had that yeah, or episode like, where he's my... like this is our 10 minutes out of the, you know, entire shitty day. This is our 10 minutes to, you know, enjoy ourselves. Do you have any of that side with you where, where, you know, some of your comedy comes from not a darker place necessarily, but like, um, you know, suffered like depression or, or, uh, you know, childhood stuff where, you know, maybe your, your mm-hmm. high school career was rough or, you know, do you do you draw inspiration yeah. from those kind of experiences, or is it mainly just straight up fun? Um, you know, it's kind of it's it's interesting. I feel like the idea of like comics being these sort of like tortured, uh, messed up people is sort of an older idea. Like most of the comedians I started out with don't really do it out of a sense of pain, but I do think that I inherited my sense of humor from my dad, and I think. Mm-hmm he developed his humor maybe as a coping mechanism. And, you know, it's so hard to say where it comes from, but I, I had a, actually a very happy childhood. I definitely felt like a weirdo and humor might've been my way of sort of connecting people um, or getting people to like me when I felt like I couldn't get them to like me with how I looked or how I dressed, you know? Like give you um, a chance, but, like this will get me in the door kind of thing. Yeah. It was sort of how I won people over, how I learned to win people over and, um, I always really loved, I was like a big fan of the Simpsons and Weird Al as a kid. Mm-hmm. So I just always <laughs> thought comedy was like the most fun, best thing ever. And, you know, when I was in high school, I basically like emailed the San Jose improv to let them, to have them let me come see a Mitch Hedberg show when I was underage. Oh, um, and it was, it was, I mean, that was great. And I, I laughed harder than I've ever laughed before or since in my entire life. Um, But uh, I didn't really make the connection that it was something I could do with my life Uh until I was already doing stand-up. And people were sort of encouraging with me that this could be something that I could have a real shot at. Because it just seems like such a long shot for most people. But I also think... um, One thing that I realized recently, and this is something that I've been sort of talking about on my podcast a lot recently, is um, 
I was very recently diagnosed with ADHD. I'm 31 years old, and I just found out that um, I have ADHD, which I'm still in the process of, like, figuring out all of the things in my life that that kind of retroactively explains. Uh But one of the things that I I realized is, like, oh, stand-up comedy is perfect for someone with ADHD because... uh, you're working in really short spurts, get a lot of stimulation and a lot of feedback right away. You write a new joke, you tell it on stage that night. You don't have to sit alone in a room with a blank piece of paper for hours, not being (laughs) able to focus on it. It's like something happens to you in your real life. You think that could be a joke. You take it on stage, you work it out in front of people. You, it's very easy to focus on it because everyone's eyes are on you. And then it also ADHD. One of the benefits of it is like nonlinear thinking and sort of, creative thought processes because your mind wanders so much. Sure. And so, um, so what I've sort of figured out is that like part of the reason why stand-up comedy is the one sort of creative endeavor I've ended up sticking with is because it is perfectly designed for someone with ADHD <laughs> to succeed at. Um, and so I think, you know, like before I started doing stand-up, I like, I wanted to do comic books and I, and I would, draw comics and do short ones, but never really had the discipline to sort of sit down and finish something longer. I didn't know how to approach it. Um, but, but, uh, stand up always sort of just clicked right away. Sure. That's, that's um, hilarious so, yeah. to me. That is hilarious to me. <laughs> you found your perfect niche, you know, not even knowing you had ADHD until recently. And that's, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, and it's, it's been really interesting sort of figuring that out about myself and I'm still like reading more about it. Um, but, uh, if anyone listening, uh, is curious or has suspected that that might be something that applies to you, uh, we know a lot more about it now than we did, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And it's got kind of like stigmatized. And one of the big things that I didn't know was that, um, it presents differently in men and women. Um, and so, yeah, so girls, when they have it, um, they don't present as hyperactive as much as, um, spacey, like spaced out. Uh, Okay. Um, so like one of the sort of checklist questions that they tend to ask you if you're a woman is like, do people call you spacey as a kid? And I was like, (laughs) oh yeah, they called me space cadet. That was my (laughs) nickname. (laughs) Um, of course I have, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm trying not to um, make it explain everything that's wrong with me, but it's very tempting. Sure. <laughs> now we have something to gravitate towards and explain my entire life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> call the ex-boyfriends oh, yeah. back. Oh, yeah. Call the friends back. Like, hey, <laughs> here's it. This is it. It wasn't my fault. Yeah. None of it was my fault. <laughs> just send them, a, send them all a letter with a, like a heart with glitter that falls out that just says ADHD explained. Yeah. <laughs> exactly oh my god well with with uh with writing jokes and and uh you know is i guess i've really been curious with stand-up comedians as far as how much the material they actually sit down and write it out and how much of it just happened and you just keep it in your head um you know when you're hashing out a a, uh like you get a new bit that you're gonna do you take it on stage like an open mic or or when you're in New York, maybe went to the cellar or something and did like five, ten minutes. Um, how do you hash those out? How do, I mean, do they come to you really clearly, or do you just get like a an inkling of an idea and have to really hash it out? Um, a lot of times, I've sort of experimented with my process, but I think the thing that works best for me, and I know every comedian is different. Like, I tour with Anthony Jeselnik a lot, and uh-huh. you know his act is so like such a specific sort of format um and he's he sits down and he writes his jokes alone um i don't do that at all what i usually do is like if there's an idea i want to explore or something that i think is funny what i usually do is i sit down with another comedian and i just try and talk about it until i make them laugh i talk about everything about it that i think is interesting things i want to get to when i talk about it on stage Uh and a lot of times what happens is when I sit down alone, I can't really think too hard about um, what's funny about it because I need an audience. So I'll a lot of times sit down with another comedian and, 
and try and talk through it until I make them laugh. And a lot of times I'm surprised at what they think is funny about it. And that'll give me some insight into what other people think is funny about it. And if it's someone who knows my act really well, they'll give me suggestions or things about like how I should talk about it on stage or what they want to hear me say about it. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, here's the thing about that that's interesting to me that I've never thought about which is not something that I can just know offhand what other people, you know? So I'll do that a lot of times. Sometimes I'll do, um, it's, you know, in, in Los Angeles, especially when I'm writing for TV shows, I don't have as much time to go out and perform every night the way I used to in New York or in San Francisco. I used to just go out and do, you know, one or two shows a night. And, um, if I had a new joke I was working on by the end of the week, it would be sort of more developed. But in LA I do maybe, you know, two or three shows a week tops and that's kind of not enough time to work on new material. So what I've found is that when I'm staffed on TV shows, what I like doing is I like to, um, I've been organizing sort of writing retreats with other comedians who also want to work on new material and we'll have like an intensive writing weekend where we do a bunch of sort of writing exercises, topic swaps, workshops on new material so that we can come up with a bunch of new premises that we can then sort of take out and test out and develop on stage. But a lot of times, a lot of the writing does happen on stage. You take something on stage and the audience laughs at a part that you didn't think they were going to. And you realize something new that's funny about the joke. And you start talking about that a little bit more. And, um, you know, there's so many different things that contribute to a joke being What's going on, guys? This is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, DistroKid. DistroKid distributes your music across all online platforms. They are an amazing company. I've enjoyed working with them the last few weeks, and they're going to be with us for a while, and I really, really appreciate that. I love working with great companies, and DistroKid is one of them. Uh, They have an awesome thing they're doing right now called Splits. Now, if you're working, as most people are, online, doing collaborations with people from all over the country, all over the world, as easy as that is with the internet, uh, you want to get those people paid when you put that music online. And splits can do that. You can add an unlimited amount of collaborators to any track. You can change the splits at any time. You can add or remove collaborators at any time. You can see previous splits. And all your collaborators are going to have to do is sign up for a DistroKid membership, a DistroKid account, so they can get paid. And as always, DistroKid never takes a cut. You and your collaborators get 100% of the earnings in total. A couple other awesome things that they do is they set up an official artist YouTube channel. Uh, You can use Spotify Canvas, synced lyrics, promo card to promote your release on social media, a mini video for your socials as well. There's just so many awesome things about using DistroKid. And like I said, I don't advertise things I don't use, haven't signed up for. I have signed up for this. It is a breeze, literally a breeze. And you can get going right away. So definitely check out DistroKid. And I want to give you 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. That is distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for Peer Pleasure Podcast. Once again, that is 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP. Go check out DistroKid right now. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for 30% off. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everyone. This is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week, I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. Hey guys, this is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I wanted to tell you about Premium Pleasure, our premium subscription service that's available now. PeerPleasure.SupportingCast.FM is the website. There's three tiers. Tier 1, 
tier two and tier three. Tier one is $5 a month. It gets you the ad free experience. Tier two gets you access to the peer pleasure pass cast. It gets you access to the videos of the interviews. It gets you merch discounts. Tier three is $20 a month. That gets you all of that. It gets you the pass cast, gets you the video footage, discounts on merchandise, and monthly Zoom calls well, with myself and other guests. We're going to have all kinds of stuff in there for you. There's all kinds of stuff in there for you now. There is, uh, I believe, 30 to 40 videos of these interviews. There is uh, multiple episodes of the pass cast. The pass cast is a podcast that I'd started separately that is me and another podcaster or me and a guest uh, discussing a deep dive into their favorite episode of peer pleasure. Um, so there's a bunch of those on there. So, so-and-so and I would talk about the Chino Moreno episode. So-and-so and I would talk about, uh, the Yvette Young episodes and we would do a deep dive and tell where they came from, how we got the guest stories of, of that weren't discussed on the podcast or maybe weren't in there. Um, it's just another glimpse behind the curtain. So that's the big deal with this premium service is giving you a glimpse behind the curtain of how the podcast is made, gives you access to things I'm doing and things that we're doing with the show, um, gives you, you know, ad free stuff. It gives you just all kinds of, of things that we could throw in there to help make it a valuable part of your month. Cause I put everything out there on this show. I put everything I have into this show. Um, so being able to give you guys that little bit of extra is a big deal to me and having your support is a big deal to me because if we don't support our artists and creatives, we're not going to have any left. So I appreciate it. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. Go sign up today and get some of this premium pleasure. Uh, developed and finished. And, you know, a lot of jokes that I tell on stage, I've worked on for years before I feel like they're really done, you know, moving Uh things around, figuring out where the biggest laugh is and then moving it to the end or, you know, things like that. It's, um, it's definitely different for every comedian, but that's what I found sort of works the best for me. Okay. And that's a lot of people like, like they talk about, they do their special whatever, and then they dump it and start fresh again. Um, you know, after yeah. working on or, you know, workshop it for a year and, and do their special and then, and then, uh, I'll drop the material. Now, have you ever tried in these, in these retreats or, or when you're hashing stuff out with, with other comedians, have you ever tried to challenge yourself and just taking, taking one thing that wasn't funny at all and trying to talk about it until it's funny as like a challenge? Or do you always <laughs> have something you're like, oh, this has really good... like a training almost like I can take this yeah. and completely turn it around over just talking it out into something maybe it doesn't become a bit but you made them laugh like yeah yeah that's a great writing exercise i've actually never done that specifically but that's a good one to add to the list uh one of the one of my favorite exercises that um i think i came up with this is um you write down something that you hate and then you try and write a joke about why you love it like (sighs) try to find something about it that you love that you can talk about or um, a lot of times what we'll do is like, I'll write down a thing I hate and then I'll hand it to another comedian and they have to write a joke about why they love it. And that is how I've come up with a few different bits. Like I did a set on Conan in January where I told a joke about how I liked putting kids on leashes, which was, came out of that exercise. Someone else wrote down kids on leashes and I wrote a joke about why I think that's a good thing. Uh-huh. I think uh, an exercise like that just tries forces you to try and write a joke that's sort of challenging of a popular opinion. Sure, sure, and that's yeah. You but, guys would make the best. To, see, I come from the touring musician world, so like we spent countless hours in a fucking bus or a van, and we would do things from from when digital cameras first started coming out. We did this thing called wind tunnel, and we would take the digital camera, point at your face, and you shake your face as violently as you can. And put the flash on and take a picture and it comes up with the most fucked up picture, like crystal clear. Like you can see everything, but your face is all distorted. We would do this for hours on end and we had something similar to what you were talking about, but we called it the Creed game. <laughs> and you basically uh-huh. had to sit there with a straight face and and profess your profound love and admiration for the band Creed with all sincerity, <laughs> without laughing. And the person that could do it the longest would win. And it never lasted very long. But it's kind of a similar idea, That's like take so something funny. you hate and just completely just with all your heart, just tell someone how much you love it. And and uh, of course, it was with Creed. But uh, 
Yeah. yeah. So, similar. I, I love that stuff. And, you know, I was a high school debater for years. And the way high school debate works is you do a tournament and you basically alternate which side you're arguing for. So you end up developing this ability to sort of like look at things from a bunch of different angles. And I, I have to believe that that has helped my stand up so much to just sort of try and imagine another point of view until it makes sense to me. Absolutely. Um, that would, that's right. That's right. Yeah. In there. I mean, that's huge. Yeah, totally. I mean, you're basically, yeah, you, I mean, you're debating with yourself a little bit on stage, but then say you get a heckler or something like that, like, or someone that challenges something you said, or, or, uh, you know, being able to find a, I took a class like that in college, the analysis of argument. It was a philosophy ca- class and basically you had mm-hmm. like 20 different types of arguments and you could see both sides and you had to argue both. It's kind of like debate, but, um, that's gotta be, that's gotta yeah. be wild because so when someone, have you had some crazy heckler stories or have you been pretty lucky that way as far as having to, you know, deal with someone on more than like, <laughs> Hey, shut up. That's it. Like, you know, where yeah. you see these things like that documentary came out with uh, Jamie Kennedy, I think where people are like, actually go at these hecklers. Have you had that situation happen to you? Oh, I've been pretty lucky. I think I, I haven't dealt with a ton of hecklers in my life. Um, I try to use sort of what I know about the rest of the audience, which is they want that person to shut up Uh and try to leverage that toward their silence whenever I can. Um, What's what's tough is I, I always feel like the weirdest part of my job is that I am just trying to make a room full of people like me. Mm-hmm. for the entire amount of time that I'm on stage, which is kind of sort of against a lot of how I've lived my life the rest <laughs> of the time. is like not part of the reason why I became a comedian is like not caring enough about what people thought of me so that I could end up saying things that were terrible. Um, but so I am always very conscious that if I turn on the audience, it might make the audience turn on me, you know, if someone in the audience is being rude and ruining the show. So I try and sort of diffuse it by being like, you know, who here wants that person to stop talking, you know, (laughs) getting them on your side. No one ever. Yeah. No one ever wants a heckler to keep talking. Um, So I try and do that or I try and just sort of, I have a few jokes that I tell that require um, the audience to get really quiet um, and that tends to help. Um, but you know, it's, there's nothing, there's no surefire way to make sure heckling doesn't happen because alcohol is a thing that people like. <laughs> oh yeah. And it's required at a lot of <laughs> drink minimums required a lot of places. Yeah, totally. So uh, see, you can never totally stop it. It's interesting. I tour with Anthony Jeselnik. I think I mentioned that. Uh-huh. And he gets tons of hecklers because his onstage persona is so sort of aggressive, but, uh-huh. and you know, but what happens is he can be mean to the audience and it doesn't break his character. So he can be mean to them and telling them to shut up. And it's kind of like a really interesting thing. I wish I could do on stage, but I, I never could. Well, how how different is your onstage persona from yourself? I mean, it seems pretty spot on as far as, you know, just having a conversation <laughs> versus who you are on stage. You know, a lot of people have this persona that they put out there or they, they start talking really fast for their routine or really slow, but they don't actually talk like that. Like, it's it's a weird difference between musicians and comedians where, you know, bands will write a different record every three years and change who they are, whereas a lot of comedians set who they are mm-hmm. and they stay that their whole career. Um, but with you, I, uh, yeah. I like it because it seems like it's just who you are now is who you are on stage. Um, I think that I, I try to be pretty true to who I am mm-hmm. when I'm on stage, but I guess if I had to pinpoint, like, I think the biggest difference, it's that I think on stage, I come off as possibly a little bit more self-deprecating than I am in real life. I actually have, uh, sort of a 
unreasonable amount of self-confidence <laughs> in real life. <laughs> um, and which is, you know, I think that's a subtext of any comedian who gets on stage and is like, listen to me talk for a really long time. I think you have to have a certain amount of confidence to like, to do that. Um, but I do tend to uh, sort of like focus a little bit more on some of the things I might be less secure about in order to maybe be more relatable. I'm not sure. It's, it's interesting. I, I think about this probably more than is productive um, <laughs> to just be like, who, how confident should I, should I be on stage? Because I am a confident person, but I, I think one thing that might be different too is that like, I'm definitely not a confrontational person in real life. I get really anxious with confrontation. There are things that I like am afraid to say to people in real life. And I don't think on stage I, I project that, okay. but it's so hard to tell. I, I, I hear my own stand up and I think, oh, that's just how people talk. You know what I mean? There's there's nothing about it that feels unique to me. I just think that's how everyone should talk. <laughs> do you listen back to your do you, I mean, do you record your sets and listen back and see how things went or do you, are you one of those people that does not like to listen to themselves <laughs> as far as, you know, I can't stand the sound of my own voice like I never listen to anything? The answer to both questions is yes. Um, okay. I I don't I try to to record myself and then listen back. I don't do it very often, but I have had to do it, you know, for like when I've put out my album and uh -huh. when I am working on new jokes, it really does help to record, record my sets, especially if I riffed something on stage and I want to remember it. Cause it's, it can be really hard to remember like what, what it is that I just said. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, it's hard to listen to myself. I don't, I really don't like doing it. <laughs> and I think that's natural too. I think a lot of people, you know, definitely feel that way. And, and, uh, you know, it's a valid, valid feeling. I mean, uh, yeah. I don't listen I to my podcast over and over like again it. either. So, <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I listen to my own podcast and it sometimes it's great. And sometimes it's so painful. Oh. How? So it's like, well, before before we talk about the podcast, I was curious how you and Portia got hooked up as far as uh, releasing on Kill Rockstars. Uh, Kurt Braunauer, um is coming on the show, too. Um, I think the 12th we're going to do oh, his cool. interview. And I went to his actual um, – I got an email randomly said, hey, I've never heard of this guy, but he's filming a special. It's free. Come on down to the Revolution Hall. And so my wife and I went down there, and, and uh, you know she'd never been to a stand-up show before. And it was hilarious and the, doing things, you know, two or three times. And then it was, you know, laugh this way, laugh this way. And, and, uh, but yeah, oh, yeah. so he's on kill rock stars too. And I was curious how you got hooked up with Portia and that whole thing is, is, was it through like a music connection being into the same kind of things or was it, she's like, Hey, I like your comedy. I'm going to start doing comedy records. Um, well I actually, so Kurt is a friend of mine and he has a show in Los Angeles called hot tub um, that they put out a, that he does every Monday with Kristen Shaw. Um, that's just one of the best showcases in LA. Um, She's from uh, the fly of the Concords, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I know um, who you're talking about. And she's on last man on earth. She's, yes. she's great. She's one of my Hilarious. favorite performers. And, um, so I've been, you know, a pretty regular uh, performer on that showcase, and they put out a compilation record with Kill Rock Stars of just some of their favorite performers, and they asked me to be on it, which was super flattering. Um, and I knew I wanted to put out an album, and I have a bunch of friends who put their album out with Kill Rock Stars, and um, I, of course, am just such a big fan of all of the music they've put out. Mm -hmm. I couldn't imagine anything cooler than putting my stand-up album out with them. Um, and so I basically had a few of my, like, you know, I had met Portia and Ben through the hot tub tapings and mm -hmm. um, I knew they knew who I was because of that. And everyone who's worked with them has just said they're the best. So I actually approached them when I knew I wanted to put out an album. I said, hey, I, I think I'm ready to put out an album. And I was wondering if you guys would be interested in putting it out. And they were like, yes. 
and I couldn't be happier about it. Um, there's no one else I wanted to do it with, and hopefully I'll be putting out more with them in the future. That's awesome. Um, they're just the coolest. Yeah. It's such a I cool mean, story. Just, just that being... easy. Like, not that easy, but, but, <laughs> but it was that simple. Like, hey, you know, I'm thinking of doing this, and it just happened that they knew you were and love what you're doing. I mean, that's the best way to do it. Yeah. It's just a genuine connection between, you know, the label and the artist. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was important to me to put it out with a label that I feel like hopefully, um, you know, fans of their label, when they're looking for comedy, will like what I'm putting out. And I what I think is cool about putting it out with someone like them is they really do carefully curate the albums that they put out and the types of comedians that they support. And I've I feel like I fit in with that group of people. I am, you know, I know every comedian whose album they've put out. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all people whose work I admire. And um, so to be among them is, is very cool. But I also think like, yeah, it makes sense. Like it makes sense for me to be on that label because it's like, I like not only the comedians, but the music that they put out as well. It's, it just feels like a good fit. Excellent. Yeah, they and they're just yeah, they're, they're great. And they're people. like a nice independent company. They're great mm-hmm. people. Um, they've been so great to work with. I just I just can't say enough nice things about them. That's awesome, and it's so cool watching comedy. Um, I think my first exposure to the whole alternative kind of way comedy is going is is that comedians of comedy that Patton and and Brian uh, and Zach did and, and uh, Maria Bamford. They that DVD and they went to like all yeah. rock clubs and they're just playing rock clubs. Yeah. And then, you know, like Todd Berry comes through and does uh, Mississippi Studios and just does that crowd work tour. That was amazing. At just yeah. like a rock venue. And then labels start. So like Sub Pop's putting out comedians and Kill Rockstar's putting out comedians. It, it's fantastic because they go hand in hand. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. It's just Absolutely. genius. And it should have happened a long time ago, but. But that whole, like, uh, <laughs> the more accessible comedians got, just like bands, where, you know, there's not a lot of mystique anymore as far as, as bands go. You can pretty much kind of find out whatever or find a way to meet whoever. It's not like that, you know, Led Zeppelin magic anymore where, you know, you're checking into a hotel with a different name and no one ever gets to meet you and, and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of erasing that, that middleman by creating a middleman. It's kind of a weird situation but i'm yeah i'm so stoked that you 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 know you guys are on there and and kurt too and and that was my first time seeing him and i was seriously crying laughing and my wife too i oh like, man and it's a taping you can't pee beforehand and you're ready to piss yourself because you're <laughs> laughing so hard at a beaver joke it's it's uh and then they they said yeah. well we're gonna do it one more time and do it again and it's just as fucking funny and uh yeah do you so he's have, a really special performer he is he is, and I, yeah. I, I, do you come to Portland often? As far as you know, when you're when you're out touring with comedy, I try to. You know, I haven't. I don't tour that much because um, TV writing kind of keeps me in LA more than I would even like it to. But I am starting to plan a tour for the summer. I really want to come back to Portland. I don't have anything on the books yet, but. Okay. I think I'm going to talk to Kill Rockstars and see if they can help me sort of figure something out uh, for up there because it is one of my favorite places to perform. And when I was getting ready to record the last album, I did a show at Mississippi Studios, and it was so fun. Okay. That's awesome because, yeah, my buddy Ray yeah. manages Mississippi Studios and Revolution Hall at where Kurt did his special. And uh, Oh, cool. Um, he does. He manages both those venues and is totally into having comedians, and, and uh, it's just such a cool blend. Um, you know, and, and yeah. kill rock stars would totally hook that up. But um, I wanted to talk totally. to you about, and I mean, yeah. go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I also, I, I'm not doing it this year, but I, I done the Bridgetown festival so many years and that was just like, has always been such an awesome uh, comedy festival, like the best, most fun comedy festival in large part because the Portland comedy audiences are so great. They're so fun and they're so game and uh, they really want you to get weird and it's <laughs> it's really they're just so unjaded compared to L.A. Yeah, but they're also so easy to make fun of. <laughs> There's yeah, so much material totally. here; it's unreal. <laughs> and 
I swear I blame Portlandia for driving rent prices through the roof in this town. Home, oh, yeah. home, home uh home prices went up twenty four percent in Portland. It's oh, wow. outrageous. Like you cannot find a one bedroom apartment in this town anywhere near the city for less than fourteen hundred dollars. It's crazy. Wow. It used to be like six hundred bucks yeah. for a one bedroom apartment when no one cared. <laughs> and now it's the yeah, place they say I, where I, young I... people come to retire. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, th- you're talking to someone who's lived in San Francisco, New York, and L.A., that is so you're true. not going to get a ton of sympathy that for a $1,400 a month rent, but um, <laughs> but I feel your pain. I think that's happening to every cool city right now, and my only hope is that the, the rent increases will drive uh, young liberal people to move to swing states. There you go. There you go. And change things yeah, a little bit. Yeah, that's cause... how we're going to... That's how we're going to fix this. We we're... just need to make a Portlandia about, you know, Detroit or, um, well, I guess Detroiters is. Have you watched Detroiters on Comedy Central? I have not. My new favorite I... show. Oh. oh, my God. It's so funny. I have I so much new stuff to check out after talking this. About... <laughs> yeah. This it's, is a... um, Tim Robinson and Sam Richardson. Tim Robinson worked on SNL for a few years and Sam Rob... Sam uh sam richardson was plays uh richard splett on veep and they started at second city in detroit together and uh they filmed the entire show there and it's so weird and so funny and just a very delightful show oh i'm gonna have to check this out because this is this is good stuff here because i i i need new stuff to check out i have very little spare time between work and oh, yeah. podcast and three kids and I, I literally <laughs> oh, have time to to uncross my eyes. I mean it's it's crazy and and uh, <laughs> but being able to sit down and watch a TV show is just so nice and I always just go back to my go-tos because I know it's going to be enjoyable. Like I'll go watch yeah. an old Seinfeld or something cuz I've got an hour to kill or or whatever oh. and, and uh, I need to get into I'm some new stuff. Absolutely and, the same way. I am um currently listening to the audio of cheers while i do chores around the house that's amazing so i get it (laughs) we just had a guy at work he he just started cheers uh for the first time like started from the beginning and is working his way through he's like this totally carries over to now and it's like i know it totally does that's what's so hilarious about that stuff it holds up pretty well and you have a you have a different take too because you write for TV. Like you look, you probably listen to TV like I listen to music and pick out you know different parts yeah. and how this was done. You know, are you able to separate yourself from that at all and just be like, all right, I'm just going to watch this show. I'm not going to think about it and uh, just enjoy it for what it is. Or do you analyze it like you can't help yourself? Um, I can definitely help myself. Like okay. I can just enjoy TV. But it, I do find myself wondering, like, I think I have a greater appreciation for it, having worked on it. And I've also acted on TV now, too. I was a series regular on a multicam sitcom on TBS for a season. And so I also now know how hard it is to do that part of the job. Uh-huh. And I have such respect for the actors who do it now, too. And so I think I probably enjoy it maybe more than the average person. I, know, I definitely know some TV writers who, like, the comedy writers who can't watch comedy. They only watch drama, but I've never been that way. I'll watch anything. Okay. It's very hard to get me to stop watching a TV show. There's very few TV <laughs> shows that I've loved that I've stopped watching. I'm, sure. I'm real easy. Man. And so being, yeah. being a, I have to ask this question too, being a female in comedy, female in show business, do you find you get treated any differently or have different standards or is that kind of a, uh, a thing of the past as far as, you know, I'm not I mean, talking pay but i'm talking like just the way you're viewed and the way you're treated um as a as a showbiz professional i mean to answer that question i would have have to have already been a male in showbiz and be able to compare it scientifically side by side i can't i can't possibly (laughs) do that you know what i mean um i there are definitely still big problems with gender in television and um, you know, the same goes for race and everything like that, um, and sexuality and, um, you know, but I, I think I have been relatively, uh, privileged to have worked on shows with people who 
get it or at least open-minded. Um, there's definitely been some arguments in writer's rooms to try and fix problems, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, you know, it's hard to say. It's definitely the patriarchy is <laughs> very expansive. Mm-hmm. Uh, it exists everywhere. It's, it hasn't been eradicated from writer's rooms for sure. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think I, uh, I think my work speaks for itself. I think there might there may be times when I've had to um, prove myself a little bit more than men in the room, but I've never failed to do that. So uh, I, I, I think I've left pretty much every job feeling good about the work I did and feeling like people recognize my work. So hopefully that helps. I don't know. Yeah, well, you're accomplishing that. I mean, that's the dream right there. I mean, you're you're able to go to bed at night, like, you know, knowing you've done what you can, did the best you could at what you did. You've had some awesome access, yeah. you know, and, and, uh, mm-hmm. you also, so you also have the podcast. How did you get into podcasting? I mean, did, were you a listener first or did someone kind of present the, Hey, you should do a podcast. What's that kind of thing? Um, well, I've, I really love comedy podcasts and I definitely had like, listen, I'm a fan. Um, so I've, I had been listening to a lot of podcasts and when I lived in San Francisco, there was a pirate radio station that um, had, you know, two hour long radio shows. And um, I started doing one with my friend Marcello, who's not a not a comedian. Mm-hmm. And it was really fun because I, I noticed that a lot of times comedy podcasts could sort of veer into shop talk or sort of inside stuff and having a co-host who wasn't a comedian meant that we sort of ended up staying away from that. When we had other comedians on, we ended up talking about stuff that you wouldn't talk about on, on a comedy podcast. And mm-hmm. so um, our, I guess our podcast was just sort of like very loosely structured and kind of like San Francisco themed, I guess. And I, and I had a lot of fun doing that. And so when I moved to New York, I knew I wanted to um, start another podcast, ideally with someone who wasn't a comedian. Cause I like, you know, with, with tough with up is you don't really want to put out your material until you feel like it's done. And it takes a really long time for your material to be done. You don't want tapes of a joke before it's ready online. Mm-hmm. So if anyone listening goes to a stand-up show, don't record us, don't post the videos online. It really sucks. Because then also people watch it and they come to the shows and they already know the joke. It's not good. It's not like music where it's better if you've heard the song before. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, so, but at the same time, it's like you want to put something out that can get people interested in your work and interested in coming to see you. And a podcast is kind of like the perfect thing for that. And so when I moved to New York, I, um, I met this artist named Lisa Hannawalt, who I had been a fan of for a long time because I'm really into comics and graphic novels and her work is really like funny and gross and just right up my alley. Uh-huh. And um, I met her through her boyfriend, who's a comedian, Adam Conover, um, who I run a stand-up show now with too. Um, and we hung out a few times and she's just as funny in real life as she is in her books. And I, kind of floated the idea of her doing a podcast with me and um it took a little bit of convincing because she's not someone who loves attention uh-huh. um but uh it's been awesome and it's uh we've been doing it for i think almost five years now um and yeah it's been it's been really fun because we've sort of found our groove and we've got a very clear sort of like structure and we've got a lot of listeners now both from the art world and the comedy world who end up finding both of our work like I've got a lot of fans now who are um illustrators and comic book artists and people who were fans of Lisa's and found me through the podcast and hopefully she's got some fans now too that are like comedy fans who ended up finding out about her work and she also does um the uh character designs for uh, Bojack Horseman on Netflix. Okay. okay. Um, yeah. So, she, so even if you haven't heard of her, you, there's a good chance you've seen her art. That's fantastic. This is the second time Bojack Horseman's come up on this podcast in two weeks. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Oh. We, we, uh, so I did an interview with, uh, Jeff. He's a singer for a band called Thursday. And, uh, he was saying, we were joking about his positivity and, and, uh, he said everyone compares him to Mr. Peanut Butter. And uh, I thought that was pretty funny because he looks like Mr. Peanut Butter and is exactly the same. And it's really funny. Uh, that show has made its way really on funny. twice. But uh, yeah. Oh, man. That's funny. Yeah. 
it's a great show. I think it's, you know, one of the best shows being made right now. Man, that's fantastic. Well, Emily, yeah. th- this has been a, a fantastic conversation. You have been a blast. And uh, I'm, I I'm, hope so. <laughs> it's, I'm so stoked that you wanted to do this, uh, this episode. And, and, uh, you know, I, I had a great time and learned a lot and I have a lot of stuff to check out now. Um, and I'm going to put it all in the great, show notes yeah. and everything. And, and, uh, <laughs> This way it everyone should all fit Detroiters. on the radio. I have I have nothing to do I have nothing to do with Detroiters, but everyone watch it. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm gonna put all that on the show notes. And uh I mean you're just you're living a charmed life. Like it's awesome. Like you're you know, you set out to do something, you've done it, you've you're doing it, you're you're you know, working a job that I'm sure so many people wish they could do and uh you know, just kicking an ass and that's awesome and you you've got great Thanks. people around you and, and uh I can't wait to uh, see you when you come to Portland. That's going to be hilarious. I know it for sure. I'll bring my wife. Thank you and, so much. Yeah. And, uh, it is not It is not lost on me how lucky I am. <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> so I hope no one thinks that. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome, Emily. Well, I really appreciate um, the time. And uh, you know, Thank I, you so much. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Have a great day, cool. and, and uh, we'll be in touch. Thanks. Okay, bye, Dewey. All right. See you later. Bye-bye. All right, you guys, that was my conversation with Emily Heller, stand-up comedian, TV writer, podcaster, just all around jack-of-all-trades, and she is hilarious. Definitely check out her record on Kill Rock Stars. It is on Spotify if you just search for Emily Heller. Um, We'll also post some links to that in the show notes so you can find that a lot more easy. Uh, And once again, thank you for tuning in week after week. We really appreciate it. been having a great time doing this show. I know I say it every week, but we really appreciate you guys listening. Uh, the numbers are growing exponentially, and uh, every week just gets bigger and bigger. So a reminder, next week is Aaron from Isis and Sumac, and last week was Jeff Rickley from Thursday, so check out those in the show archive on the website. And if you haven't yet, definitely rate and subscribe the show on iTunes. So we are on PeerPleasurePodcast.com, Instagram, and Twitter. Check us out, and we'll see you on the radio. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or nothing more than a one hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.